0: You're listening to Preaching Source, a ministry of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary's School of Preaching. I'm your host, Professor Barry McCarty. Today on Preaching Source, we have Professor Kyle Walker, a member of our faculty here at the Southwestern School of Preaching. Dr. Walker, it's good to have you back with us on Preaching Source. Thank you, Dr. McCarty. It's a pleasure to be here. Today, we're going to be talking about the introduction and conclusion of the sermon. How do you craft those? So why don't we start off by asking about that, that critical first few moments that the preacher steps into the pulpit. Why, how important is it, the, say that first minute or that first 30 seconds, how important is that for the success of the sermon, and, and why? Why?
1: Well, Dr. Picardi it's massive in importance. Um, I love what Haddon Robinson says in his book, Biblical Preaching. He actually quotes a Russian proverb that creates a, an image here that is um, that really just clarifies it uh, greatly. He says, it's the same with men as with donkeys. Whoever would hold them fast must get a very good grip of their ears. Uh, that just grips one's mind concerning the importance of an introduction. But in other words, the introduction is really the preacher's one and only chance to gain the listener's attention. And in today's time, we cannot assume that the congregation is automatically interested in what we're going to say. Furthermore, if one takes Aristotle's really three means of artistic persuasion, so what I mean is the ethos, the logos, and and pathos concepts, Aristotle argues that ethos, which is that credibility of the speaker in the eyes of the audience, is by far the most important of those three in terms of the means of persuasion. Uh, And that ethos is typically decided upon rather quickly due to the instantaneous judgments being made by the audience regarding the speaker from the moment he walks up there to the platform to get in that pulpit. So ultimately, we as preachers must gain the attention and trust of our audience uh, in that first 30 seconds of the sermon, or we may not get another chance to gain it. It is then and then only. Mm. Well, let's talk about how you do that. Well, we talk about effective sermons, uh, we, really, we really begin with, with effective introductions. Um, I think the best way to put that in my mind is that effective sermons begin by being the most interesting thing in the room at that moment. They must be uh, more interesting than Angry Birds, than Pokemon, than Twitter, than Facebook, than Snapchat, or anything else on someone's iPhone or iPad. Uh, in the past, uninterested listeners had little to do uh, if they weren't interested in the sermon, or if they didn't care to listen to it, and that's just not true today. Uh, therefore, it's imperative that preachers need to understand the number of potential distractions that exist for our listeners, and that what we really have to overcome, that the introduction is designed to do. Uh, and of course, all, all preachers, all of us have had that experience of feeling like a sermon never left the runway. Uh, it's an awful feeling, but it's happened to us all, and typically that, that happens due to a poor introduction. Uh, the introduction is, is that runway that, that allows the sermon to take flight, and uh, to quote our colleague, Dr. Smith, he just puts it very bluntly when he says, you simply cannot overcome a bad introduction. <laughs> that drives it home, and that's just another way of saying what John us said years ago when he put it like this, ill begun is apt to be wholly ruined. So with that said, a sermon introduction really needs to do two things. It needs to do more than this, but two things really are the nuts and bolts at the core of what it needs to accomplish. Number one, it needs to compel the audience to listen, compel the audience to listen. I think this is probably the most challenging part of the introduction. Somehow, the preacher must convince the audience that they absolutely must listen without telling them to. That's that's really the ticket, and this can be accomplished in a number of different ways. Um, by revealing the relevance of the main idea to the audience somehow, by surfacing felt needs and addressing them, by addressing current issues listeners are facing, uh, raising questions they're asking, challenging accepted ideas, and just bottom line plain being interesting, making it come alive. The options are really endless, but the preacher must compel the audience to listen. And number two, uh, the introduction must clarify the main idea of the sermon. This is fairly straightforward for a deductive sermon, as one might uh, imagine for a New Testament epistle, but for a narrative sermon, the intro will, will not necessarily address the main idea, but it still will point the trajectory towards that main idea. It will, it will begin to clarify the target from the beginning. It will point out a direction. Uh, but in e- either case, uh, whether you're dealing with a deductive or, or a, uh, an inductive narrative sermon, that introduc- uh, introduction must aim the sermon at the intended target, and clarify it. Without that clear main idea or objective, most introductions are reduced to rambling. Uh, So as a general rule, bottom line is effective sermons begin with great introductions. Okay.
0: Now, uh, obviously the sermon as a whole has some structure to it, a a beginning, a middle, and an end. Art, can you break down the introduction into uh, discrete parts or, say, things that you need to check off that you do in, in an effective introduction?
1: I think you can, and I I think it's helpful to break down the introduction into four parts that serve to move the listener through the following phases, um, from general to specific to exact, and then to the transition to the sermon. So four parts that, that accomplish those four phases of movement, if you will, from moving from the general to the exact to the sermon. So let me explain a little more. Uh, Part one would would be what I would just call move number one. And in that move, what the preacher is doing is he's introducing the general idea. Um, He's introducing the subject of the text in a general way. And it's general enough that everybody can jump on board. But that leads him to move number two. Taking folks there from the general to move number two moves that idea to a a more specific aspect of it. So it's going to further clarify the subject of the text, the subject of the sermon. After move one and two, part three is where the preacher really lays out the main idea. He moves from general to specific to now with the main idea, something that's exact, exactly what he's wanting to clarify and communicate from that text. And then part four is the transition question, uh, which is the question that reveals how the text addresses the main idea. it therefore serves this transition question. serves as the link you need to move from the intro to the body of the sermon. So let me just give an example of that from a text I preached not too long ago out of Second Timothy chapter two, verses one through seven. Uh, move number one was the general idea of the need for faithfulness in ministry. Paul addressing Timothy here, bringing up the general need for faithfulness in ministry. Then I move more specifically in move number two to the great cost of ministry and the many casualties the fallout rate, the dropout rate of ministry, the high stakes, the cost. So tied with the faithfulness, but even more specific at that point. But that leads me to part three, which is more exact, which is where I spell out my, my main idea, and uh, which is essentially, to paraphrase it, is that in order to be faithful in ministry, we must embrace the cost of ministry. So now I'm bringing together that first idea and second idea to be exact in my main idea, which leads me ultimately to my transition question to lead into the sermon and that question the text is answering is, how? How to be faithful in ministry? How to embrace those costs? And so the way the text answers that uh, is with four commands that specify the steps, as I articulated them, that we must take in order to embrace the cost of ministry. And that leads me directly into developing those steps. So structurally, that's how I would lay out the four parts as a template for an introduction and what it must do, leading from general to the exact um, I also just want to note that structurally speaking, that though I've spoken to this template, it's critical to keep in mind that the introduction will set the mood for the sermon. Uh, so, of course, texture and preaching requires communicating not only the substance and structure of the text, but the spirit of the text, that, that mood, the, the tone, if you will, and that's also set in the introduction. So, therefore, this structure can be used as a general template, uh, but the content one chooses for it will need to be chosen carefully to match the spirit of the text. And of course, with narratives, um, you may not have this classic template, but you can begin by telling the story or jumping right into the scene. Uh, so that template's really going to be applied more to a deductive text, and that general template, I think, can be used in a lot of situations.
0: Okay. Dr. Walker, how, uh, do you have any tips for, for uh, transitioning then from the introduction to the rest of the sermon?
1: Sure. I think, number one, you do want to make sure you're zeroed in on the main idea of the text, number one, uh, what the text is saying. And and then what you're going to do is press into how the text is saying it. So, for example, is it an idea to be explained, which raises the question, what does this mean? Uh, or is it a—is it— proving a proposition. And in that case, the question is, why is this true? Or maybe it's a principle to be applied, how is this obeyed? So you get the idea, not just what the text is saying, but then how is it saying it? How is it answering it? So once you identify that question the text is raising, uh, you're going to assume, this is critical, you're going to assume that that's going to be your last sentence of your introduction. So this is also the place uh, where you're going to utilize what we might call a homiletical keyword in this last sentence, where you're transitioning uh, from the main idea to, to how that main idea is going to be answered. This homiletical keyword is a word that categorically identifies the ideas, i.e. your points, in the body of your sermon. So if I'm going to hand you the bundle of my points in the sermon, I need a way to categorically for you to process what those are, a label for them, if you will that gives you the logic of how they fit together, and that's what that homiletical key word uh, serves to do. There are hundreds of options for this. What you don't want to use as a preacher is the word things. You don't want to say three things about the church or three things about a Christian. No, you want to be more specific. What are three facts about Jesus Christ, three marks of a healthy Christian or marks of a healthy church or truths, commands, questions, principles, keys, etc.? You get the idea. Just don't use the word things. That, is, that leaves, um, leaves things too ambiguous. So once you zero in on your main idea and you've identified how the text is answering that with your transition question that's your last sentence of your introduction, uh, then you can work backwards uh, to create those moves that I spoke to earlier about move one and two, that general to specific that's going to get your listener to that place of being ready to hear the answer to the question the text is raising. So that, th- those are the big tips I would give, but I also would add this. I would also, in the intro, somewhere, somehow, hint at the benefit of listening to this sermon. Somehow you need to whet their appetite, put forward your expectations of the rewards of, of listening, of what you have in store, uh, allude to the practical answers they will hear to certain problems. Somehow, some way, whet their appetite for more. And then finally, this is very practical for the preacher, is write it out. Write out the introduction. Uh, even if you don't manuscript your entire sermon, it's super helpful, and, and it's tremendously um, beneficial for clarity to craft the intro and conclusion word for word. So those would be my hints on how to actually transition and craft that. All right, you mentioned,
0: you mentioned uh, writing out the introduction and the conclusion. Let's talk about the conclusion. What, uh, how do you effectively conclude a sermon?
1: Well, the options are really unlimited concerning that question, how. Uh, To conclude a sermon, really your own creativity is would be the only limitation. Uh, Everything from an illustration, a story, a summary, an exhortation, etc. You get the idea that you could really do just about anything to conclude the sermon. But the key is uh, to be creative and don't be predictable. Uh, So, in other words, a poem is not going to cut it every Sunday. Uh, It just won't. People that gets uh, too predictable for people to really be engaged. You want to keep in mind the two goals of the conclusion. Uh, which if I could put it in this way, I would just call them reinforcement and response. And uh, in fact, our colleague, Dr. Smith, uses those terms as well. Uh, Reinforcement and response, the conclusion is the ultimate so what of the sermon. It's the so what moment. Yes, you've given application. Yes, you've answered that so what, but here's now the last nail to drive, and it's the ultimate so what. So you reinforce that main idea, and you call for a response. Uh, I love how John has put it, if there's no summons, there is no sermon. You must exhort, you must plead for a response. So a couple suggestions, <clears throat> be relatively brief. Uh, don't re-preach the message in your closing prayer or invitation. Uh, in fact, the best conclusions, as many writers have put it before, are those that stop a sentence or two before the audience expects it. Uh, number two, bring the message to a close without telling the audience you're actually doing so. Let it happen naturally. Don't say in conclusion. Uh, don't, don't do anything that would say you're concluding other than actually concluding. That'll, that'll allow the audience to be more naturally drawn into it. And then be specific in what you're saying there and keep it simple. Don't introduce ideas at that point that the, the sermon has not already spoken to.
0: Are there uh, some common pitfalls in either introductions or conclusions that you could uh, warn us to avoid?
1: I think there are definitely some obvious pitfalls that we as preachers, uh, even preachers with lots of experience, uh, tend to fall into. Number one on the introduction side of things would be perhaps just simply a failure to captivate and clarify. So this is a failure to launch, this is what I would call it in short. it does not, it's when the introduction does not captivate and compel the audience to listen. It doesn't somehow connect with the listener, and therefore it compels them to, to listen further. Um, and or that's coupled with the fact that it doesn't clarify the main idea. So those two things are really fatal blows to an introduction when you don't compel the audience to listen and you don't clarify where you're headed and give the clear main idea. Also, with introductions um, is the fact that often they're too long. They just take too long. Uh, An elderly woman once said of the Welsh preacher John Owen, that uh, he was so long in spreading and setting the table, she lost her appetite for the meal. (laughs) And of course, we could see how Puritan preachers would be guilty of that, perhaps, but we Southern Baptists and other preachers at large um, can be often guilty of that as well. Um, Along with too long, sometimes it's because it's too complex. There's just too many ideas involved. I spoke of that move one and move two from general to specific. You get more complex than that, and it's hard to make sure people follow you to the exact part of your main idea. So don't introduce too many ideas, too many moves. And then finally, um, don't apologize. Uh, an apology in the introduction is not going to help the preacher, whether it's because of a sore throat or a health issue, a lack of time, any other issue. When you stand before God's people to preach, do just that. Don't apologize. and uh, Give the people any reason for why they perhaps should consider not listening as hard this Sunday as they did last Sunday. <laughs> For the conclusion, uh, a couple things to add p- here on the pitfalls. Again, too long would be one, uh, like the introduction, but I wouldn't call this a failure to launch. This is a failure to land. Uh, we've all heard of the preacher who can't land the plane. So failure to land, going too long leads to a lack of clarity and reinforcement. Um, sometimes this is uh, also the place where new ideas are introduced that the sermon hasn't covered, that uh, need, just needs to be eliminated. But not, uh, in addition to being too long, perhaps there's a failure to call for a clear and specific response on the half, behalf of the people. Uh, so there's no summons by the preacher uh, is another way of saying it, which also means, and this is something we often overlook, that there's no true exhortation. So I think that with the Apostle Paul, we could speak of pleading with the people, pleading for them to heed, not just to hear the word that we've just tried to clearly communicate, but at this point we are pleading, persuading for them to not just be hearers of the Word, but doers of it. Uh, And we as preachers must do both. We must communicate the Word, but we must plead for a response. And finally, just one overall pitfall for both, I think that applies to the introduction and conclusion, is, is depending on notes to deliver them. Eye contact is absolutely critical, crucial throughout the sermon. There's no doubt. In fact, even Fenelon, going back to his dialogues on eloquence, says uh, that it's that ability to strike with the eye. One glance can strike to the heart in the act of persuasion more than anything else. So eye contact's crucial throughout the sermon, but especially at the beginning and the end, especially when you're trying to get them on board and when you're trying to drive that final, that final nail home to rivet in their minds the truth, you must be looking them square in the eye. Our guest on Preaching Source today
0: has been Dr. Kyle Walker from the School of Preaching at Southwestern. Dr. Walker, thank you for talking with us about introductions and conclusions.
1: Thank you, Dr. Dr. McCarty. It's been a pleasure.